Welcome to the Daily Grind. My name is Kelly Johnson, your fun and friendly host. We are in episode 23 of season three, the very best one yet. I'll keep the introduction short. We'd like to introduce you to David Cicerali. David is the co-founder and CEO of Voices.com, the largest marketplace for voice talent. Voices.com has over 1 million members and received 20 million plus funding to date. The unique blending of his audio engineering background with self-taught business savvy and website development afford David the creative freedom to pursue his passion for innovation during the first dot-com boom, the result of which capitalized him into the scene as a pioneer in his field in the early 2000s. So welcome to show, David. Awesome. Thanks for the intro, Kelly. And the, and the high fives. That's awesome. Thank you. Thanks for that. Oh, of course, David. We are excited to have you on The Daily Grind. Our listeners are beyond excited to learn more about your story and what you do. So, yeah, that leads me to my first question right away. If you can briefly introduce yourself and what you do on your Daily Grind. Yeah, my Daily Grind. Well, I'm uh, the co-founder and CEO, as you said, of Voices.com. Voices is an online marketplace. We connect uh, creative producers. Um, think of them as clients, right? The creative producer, maybe at an ad agency or an entrepreneur who's starting up, uh, has a business ideas, and they look to have a, a need a voice, uh, a voice talent for maybe a video or a commercial, or maybe even their phone system, whatever it may be. And so we run this marketplace that connects that client with the talent. Um, there's, as you say, millions of people on the platform at this point. Um, and the common thread is that the clients um, really are looking to tell a story um, themselves to either educate, inform, or otherwise entertain their audiences. And the common thread is that they do need that human voice to communicate and to um, bring that script to life. And that's really what we do is uh, kind of pair these two parties up together and run really what has become uh, that large kind of freelance marketplace focused exclusively on voice and audio content. Oh, that's great, David. Uh, really well said. Again, I'm excited to learn more about your background. Uh, we were talking a little bit off air. I think you're a really great fit for today's show in our audience in general, just learning about this uh, demographic, uh, this industry in general. So yeah, th that kind of leads me to, you know, all of our businesses start with idea. Our daily grinders are, you know, entrepreneurs, uh, ones that are working full time in their regular job and have a side hustle on the side. Uh, so they all start with idea, and you've probably heard that saying that, you know, ideas are a dime a dozen, and it's, like, certainly true in the startup world. So speaking of the startup world, did you, like, how did you enter this space? Like, have you always had, like, an entrepreneurial mindset? Uh, did you have this idea for a while? Tell us more. Yeah, well, you know, like many good, um, or most businesses kind of start with either um, looking back to perhaps even something in your childhood or some early uh, experience. And for me, it was learning how to um, play piano and kind of be exposed to music at a young age. Um, we had this old audio equipment at home. There was a record player that I loved to play with, the shortwave radio where I could tune into radio stations from around the world. So I certainly tinkered with that when it came to post-secondary school and making some you know, career choices uh, or educational path choices. I learned how to become an audio engineer. Basically, the school uh, program 
was uh, set up like a, you know big recording studio with a, in in the and a mixing board at the front of the lecture theater, and I remember the first day the you know head of the school held up in one hand a microphone and the other hand a tennis ball, and he said if you don't know the difference between these two things. Don't worry about it. We're going to teach you everything. And he's standing in front of this 128 channel mixing console that, you know, that looks like the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. Like it was just so intimidating. And yet there was this collective sigh of relief. So after going through um, that program and kind of learning how to record, mix and produce audio, I did actually open up my own small recording studio uh, here, here in our hometown uh, of London, Canada, which is just kind of be just outside of Toronto for those who might uh, know the area. And I actually got my name in the local newspaper, um, Business Monday. It was around my birthday, uh, actually on my birthday of all days. And uh, that, you know, showcased this small studio to the local uh, business community. Turns out um, my now my dear wife, Stephanie, uh, her she was a classically trained singer. Uh, she was at the University of uh, Western Ontario uh, in the music program. And one of her projects was to actually record a, her singing repertoire. And her mom was uh, saw this newspaper article and cut it out for her and said, hey, you should uh, actually uh, go down to this new studio and um, get your singing repertoire done and also maybe get some marketing collateral so she, she could promote herself as a singer um, for weddings and funerals and other special events. So she came down and hit it off. But because of that same newspaper article, Kelly, um, it was actually other small businesses, uh, a hair salon, an event management company, they wanted like radio commercials, phone system recordings, and they both wanted a female voice. Well, being kind of a nerd, I knew one girl in the city, and that was Stephanie, and I just met her. And I said, hey, I'll be the, I gave her a call, and I said, I'll be the engineer. Do you think you could be the voice talent? Uh, we'll split, and here's the script, and we'll split the money 50-50. So that's how we started uh, working together, and we put up this very primitive website. It was something I took out books from the local public library. It was web design for dummies. I learned how to put together kind of really a static version of a website that showcased Stephanie as a freelance voice town who was available for hire. And that actually soon attracted other freelance voice talent, people in Quebec who spoke French, people in New York City, people in um, LA who did character voices and celebrity impressions. And they all reached out and said, hey, can, can I be on your website? And we always just said yes. And at the same time, there were corporate clients, you know, people that, you know, in marketing departments, video production companies that would find the website and say, how do I get in touch with these people? I see a name and a link to where I can listen to them, but how do I hire them? And that was really that aha moment. I know we kind of talk about often there's this turning point where you realize, okay, I'm close to kind of hitting on the right idea of running this recording studio, but wow, what if we could step back and instead of doing the voiceover work, be the uh, trusted intermediary. How do we facilitate these transactions between buyer and seller, if you will? And in this case, that client who's looking to hire a voice talent and that seller, that voice talent who has great creative skills available for hire. And that's really how it all began. And for the most part, it's, it's been the same idea that we've just uh, stuck with for so many years. Yeah, you are definitely a leader in this category in regards to just initially having the idea and that aha moment in your own daily grind, which is great to see and a perfect example for, again, our, our listeners tuning in today's episode, that are entrepreneurs that, you know, come across something while they're at work, at school, or all the above. So that's great that you made that connection, and that connection has really propelled you to the next level and continue to inspire us and create those innovative ideas that really push this category to the limits. So. 
Well, one of the things I hope um, everyone heard in that is that from a lot of entrepreneurs, especially first-time entrepreneurs, and my, my myself was kind of a, a case in this, is we you end up kind of scratching your own itch. If you've heard that phrase before, it's like, I'm actually trying to solve a problem for myself or my family or people I know, or maybe it's, you know, I get hired on a consulting basis for something and I see kind of another opportunity. So developing those observational skills, looking for real world problems that can be solved. That's um, kind of a great, a great approach. So either you're solving your own problems or you're being observational and solving other people's problems. And the problem in our industry was it was actually really hard to find a voice talent. You'd often just call up a radio radio station, but then you'd get a phone system that sounded like the news, weather, and sports, or like the monster truck rally. It's not really conducive for you know corporate training material, if you will. So people wanted more variety, and then talent, you know, who are very skilled, who are looking, who are building out their own home recording studios, but they live in maybe. Des Moines, uh, Des Moines, Iowa, or Kalamazoo, Michigan, and not in a major center like New York, Chicago, or LA, how do I kind of break into the industry? And that's where marketing themselves online and really joining a marketplace was an effective uh, avenue for them to career, uh, grow their career and, uh, and grow their own clientele uh, as well. So finding those real world problems, I think, um, is going to eliminate a lot of trial and error of having just an idea, I think the idea needs to solve solve an issue. Well said, David. And I think with, y with your business too, as we'll further discuss in the interview, you serve sides of the spectrum. So the person that's getting hired as well as the person that's uh, receiving that content in general. So yeah, that kind of leads me to just the, from a big picture in general, you're responsible you know, for setting the vision, executing the growth strategy, creating a vibrant culture managing the company on a day-to-day -day basis. Did you have like a vision initially about, you know, building this world-class organization? Well, I, I think truth be told, uh, at the beginning, you're just, you're just struggling to survive, to be honest with you. I mean, it's usually a, a one or two person startup and you're just looking for, you know, that next kind of project or that next gig. Um, so, you know, we, Stephanie and I, it was a, you know, husband and wife co-founding team, um, we were recording and kind of producing, basically running a small recording studio. So the vision was really how do we kind of find more, um, you know, musicians to book out this small studio. Uh, and that actually then, as I mentioned, led to that voiceover work. And what was interesting there was I realized instead of booking out a recording studio on an hourly basis, we're now getting hired on a project by project basis. So that was a big difference. So you know, th that kind of sparked this initial, you know, vision, if you will, of how do we go from services to products? How do we productize what we're doing? And if what we're really good at is matching buyer and seller, you know, this kind of two-sided marketplace, these are very, very popular businesses nowadays. If you think of Uber and Lyft to Airbnb to Grubhub and Seamless and all the food delivery, that's really what these platforms are doing is connecting buyer and seller. But at the beginning, we thought, okay, we have this interest from both sides. How do we productize that into a marketplace? And you actually, I've discovered over time, need these four pillars to build a marketplace. The first one is you need participants, the buyers and sellers, the creators and the consumers. You can even think of YouTube or Twitter as in some ways kind of a two-sided platform. You have people that create the content, then you have people that consume the content. So if you once you bring the participants together, then you're actually bringing them to exchange information of some kind. 
Perhaps it's what's available in a series of menus for restaurants, or it could be profile information of people who can be hired. Um, and likewise, the information from the employer would be, hey, here's a job opportunity. What, what looks good there? You know, is this something a good fit for me? So in the exchange of information, then eventually there's the exchange of goods or services. Now, some can be completely online where maybe 99designs is showing and it's a marketplace for graphic designers where you're actually exchanging kind of a concept in terms of the services, but you then you actually get that final Photoshop file or JPEG or Illustrator file where you can actually get that deliverable. But there's also the exchange of services can start online, think Uber and Lyft, but then the service is rendered offline. Airbnb would be the same situation. So that exchange of services is important. And finally, the exchange of currency. And now currency could be monetary value, of course, but it could also be social currency, which is very valuable. Maybe people building up an online reputation. So we've developed this you know, vision over time to become the definitive destination for audio content. But in order to do that, you almost have to dissect. It's like, well, what are these pillars, these kind of drivers, these principles, if you will, that are going to help us realize um, that vision. So of course it didn't start there, Kelly, but you, you kind of pick up these learnings along the way and then formulate it into a thesis that you're trying to kind of play out and prove out. Is this, is this really the way the world works? And uh, I think we're really on the right path here and I'm certainly excited um, um, on how it's been playing out over the last couple of years and, and hopefully for years to come. Oh, definitely. Again, thanks for highlighting the, the four pillars, David. I really kind of sheds light on, in this area and what is essential to really grow the business as well as on the backside, behind the scenes, uh, BTS on, on Voices.com. So yeah, that, can you tell us more about Voices.com and maybe walk us through as us as a consumer or us as someone that provides services? Yeah, sure. So let's, we'll, we'll do the one on, you know, on a, on a consumer, if you will, that client who's looking to hire a voice talent. Now, you know, as a, you know, kind of the, the old way might've been, you call up a, a local radio station or a friend or family member, you're not necessarily going to be getting a professional, maybe someone who's never done voiceover before. On the other hand, you, you're really kind of putting your brand out there, especially as entrepreneurs who want to have high impact where every touch point that someone has, whether it's our visual communications, you know, through video or images, but then also through the auditory channel as well, too. And so uh, what we find is a lot of clients uh, would come to voices with a specific project in mind. Um, often it's some kind of internet based video, might be a short commercial or an explainer video for a new product or service. And what they would do is sign up for free and then post a job by posting your job uh, again, completely free. What we enable that uh, you to do is describe who you're looking for. So you would say, okay, here's, you know, here's the title of my project explainer video for new product launch. And then you'd say, I'm looking for um, uh, the gender of voice, the age range, uh, the language, the accent, the style, so um, and the role. So I'll describe what a role is. You know, are you looking for someone to sound like a superhero or a villain, or is it you know kind of a friendly guy next door, or is it a you know a science professor, right? You you kind of get these you know almost these like archetypes in your mind of like I I can hear the voice, but you know, and the one way that I often encourage people to think about this is. Imagine this person walked through the front door, right, of your home or your office or through a restaurant, and you saw them, you know, your brand, if you could personify your brand, what would they look like? And that's kind of how the role that you probably want to 
you know, character, if you will, that you're developing, that's ultimately going to be your voice ambassador, if you will, the person who's going to be saying these words. So the role, and then the style, and the style could be, you know, sarcastic, it could be, you know, straightforward, it could be professional. Um, so you want to provide this artistic direction. So two things happen. One, Voices.com can match you up with the best talent for your project. And then also when the talent see your job posting that they actually um, can interpret that and really, I'll reuse the term, like breathe that script to life. Um, so that's the artistic direction on that job posting form. The other thing would be including uh, a quote of how much you're, you're thinking of in terms of, uh, sorry, your budget. Um, they started like a hundred to $250. So relatively reasonable for, you know, 30 seconds um, recording. And then, um, and then you just submit the job. Now, what we do in the back end, which I think is pretty cool, is we take those job posting requirements, what you're looking for, and match that up against all of those talent and invite only the most qualified. We call it job match. We're inviting the best people algorithmically for your job, people who actually have experience in doing explainer videos or have experience, you know, maybe it's a different kind of project or who do, who do character work, right? It's, it's very different kind of works. We want to find you the best people so you don't have to go hunting around for them. And then the talent are actually going to audition. They're going to record 30 or maybe even 60 seconds of your actual script. So you can listen and compare, if you will, apples to apples. You're not hearing random samples, you know, and trying to, you know, you actually get to hear your script. And uh, then the talent gives you a quote of how much they believe, you know, the, the, it's going to cost to do the work from their perspective. And you will just, you can go through and listen to usually five to 10 to 20 people reply on, um, you know, I think probably more than that, 20 to 25 people reply on any given job and you just go click the hire button from the person that you want to work with and you can enter your credit card details and uh, pay online. Then the talent does the final recording. They usually turn it around, Kelly, in probably 24 to 40 hours. It's pretty quick turnaround, which is another, you know, uh, key differentiator, if you will. But the, the turnaround time is phenomenal. And that's great thanks to the talent who are on demand uh, at the ready. And then you have your final, you have that audio recording that you can, that you can use. Maybe it's mixing it into a video. It might be, you know, an intro to a podcast. However you want to use that, you have the, the rights um, to do so. So uh, then at the very end, you just give a five-star, you know, a rating and review. You have an opportunity to give a five-star. Hopefully the talent did, did, did right by you and you're really pleased with that recording. So that's really the process from, uh, from beginning to end. Oh, this is great, David. Super easy. It, it sounds really quick turner. A lot of great perks of using Voices.com. While you were describing the process, I was just visualizing, wow, you're the one-stop shop essentially like a LinkedIn premium or whatever the top tier is uh, to really find that talent that you need for your project or business or even for uh, something that's outside of business. You mentioned the, all the different examples. I uh, loved hearing about, again, this kind of pulls off what you're describing as well, but how does Voices.com you know, set itself apart from others in the industry? I know there's a few other smaller ones out there in the same, I guess, uh, fish pond as you call it, but uh, yeah, what's, what's, what's your you know, competitive advantage essentially? Yeah, I think there's, uh, it's a great question. I mean, there's certainly an emergence of um, freelance marketplaces. I think uh, certainly over the last, you know, call it 24 months, um, we've seen huge growth in all things freelance, you know, people deciding, hey, I'm, I'm going to either, you know, leave my full-time job or I'm going to pursue a passion project that becomes freelance work by choice, not because they can't hold down a full-time job because people are very talented and in effect, they're becoming 
you know, sole proprietors or entrepreneurs in their own right. And so a freelance, a generalist freelance marketplace, I would say there's kind of two flavors, if you will. Uh, you know, the horizontal generalist freelance marketplace like Upwork or Fiverr, where you can really hire anybody on that platform from an executive assistant to a mobile web dev developer to a graphic designer. The, the benefit, of course, is, you know, you can, you can truly hire anyone um, and therefore there's lots of uh, supply, if you will, of available talent. The downside, um, if I could be so bold, may be that uh, the process is very generic. You know, the profiles are very generic, you know, almost like resume-like. The process just kind of needs to accommodate every one of those uh, categories of, of work. So I would say where a vertically specialized uh, marketplace like Voices.com would differentiate would be that we've created the whole experience around listening. And right from the profile where the talent are uploading sample recordings of their, their work, whether they're an audio producer or a musician or a voice talent, they're uploading audio samples. And so as a, as a consumer, as a buyer on the platform, you're actually listening and evaluating with your ears. I think that's one thing. The search engine, we're not just showing people's profiles, we're actually showing audio samples where you can go through and listen. And then uh, as I described uh, just a minute ago, that job posting process, you're not just getting kind of generic proposals back of somebody who thinks that they can pull the job off for you. You're hearing somebody audition. You're hearing somebody actually record your script. So I think that's a really big differentiator, this, this kind of bespoke experience around listening. You know, there's other vertical marketplaces, but we've gone ahead and um, pursued a patent on what we call SurePay, which is the safe payment service where we capture that payment up front and it gives the, um, the talent the peace of mind that when they get hired, the payment's sitting in what's known as an escrow service. If you've ever purchased a, a home or heard of somebody purchase a home, you kind of put the money in this trusted neutral bank account. You're not sending it directly to the, to the other party. So we serve as that trusted intermediary. It gives the talent the peace of mind knowing that they're going to get paid for the work because once they send that MP3 file or that WAV file, you don't know if the person's down the street or halfway around the world. So there's little recourse. So that's why we capture the payment up front. And the client also knows that in, for some reason, maybe the talent suddenly becomes unavailable or ill or they have to go travel, that they can you know, quickly rehire somebody else uh, if need be. So that's what we call SurePay is this safe payment service. I think those are two things in my view, uh, Kelly, that differentiate voices from perhaps some other uh, players within the market. Oh, definitely. Really well said, David. Again, when you're describing the different advantages you have and what's the, the best of the best at voices, one that comes to mind, reliability, like you just mentioned with the, the paying system. I think that's really important because you don't want that gig economy. You don't want someone, even like me just coming back from a trip, from Boston using Uber. I don't want to have that decline right away or something. So it's same thing too with voices.com. You don't want to have that decline and like, oh, I'm waiting at the airport for over an hour or something <laughs> to get a to get a ride back or whatever. Uh, the number two, just efficiency. Uh, you mentioned with the, diff the platform, you're able to get that uh, recording right away for your project or your business. So the process of it too, just the communication between the, the, the buyer and the seller. So that's, that's really great to hear. 
I guess in general for your whole entire uh, startup journey or just maybe your recent and latest, latest and greatest updates, do you have a favorite experience in mind or a milestone that you like to share with us, uh, with our daily grinders here? Yeah, I think one of the highlights, um, because I think it's tremendous, it was tremendously validating that we're on the right path, was us securing that investment with uh, Morgan Stanley, a global investment bank. Um, and so, you know, I, I, you know, up to that point, which was 2017 was when we raised that capital, but up to that point, we'd, we'd been in business for call it 10 years prior. And uh, we were really kind of, you know, pursuing and raising capital. I refer to it as, you know, kind of the, you know, cash from, you know, you know, friends and family, then, you know, if you, but that's going to probably be not exactly the, the most efficient and kind of scalable. So maybe in the earliest days that kind of gets get you going, right? Get your website online, maybe secure a domain name and, and um, some kind of basic marketing collateral. But really, I think it's the next uh, moment you're looking at probably cash from, we started as cash from customers. Now, this is really interesting because so often I think entrepreneurs just jump right to, I need to raise a bunch of money from some Silicon Valley investors. Whereas if you can actually prove out your idea by delivering value, building a product or service and having real people out there realize that value and reward you with their, with their business and pay you for uh, that product or service. So at, at Voices, we actually started off with on a membership based website for the voice talent who uh, paid $49 for annual, who paid $49 for an annual subscription. And then and, and then we kind of built up uh, from there. So I think that was uh, that was one thing. We also built that payment service later on and were able to monetize uh, the platform uh, through transaction fees. So that I think is an important where you actually, you know, I'll reuse the term monetizing um, your business somehow. It's not just, you know, a, a, a service that you're doing as a hobby or for fun. If you really want to pursue this as as a full-time business opportunity, somebody really needs to be paying you. After those first kind of couple years, though, we realized, hey, we could probably grow faster if more people heard about us. So there's this real desire to generate more awareness. And so we took out a bank loan. And the first bank loan was for uh, $30,000 and then $50,000. And then we paid those off and took out. 90,000 paid that off and then 150, 250, 500, 900,000 and we had a bank loan for 2 million dollars. And I realized at that point and at the I mean the company was almost 100 employees uh, at that at that stage. And I realized wow, at this stage it's really there's no other shareholders, so we kind of, you know, bootstrapped if you will. But the likelihood of a bank lending us more money for really an internet-based business was like really dropping to becoming more kind of, we just felt there was like more risk adverse, you know, we're investing in intellectual property, not buying a fleet of vehicles or starting a, you know, buying real estate, something that a traditional bank would be able to more kind of wrap their arms around. So that kind of leads to the final way that you're, you're going to be able to raise capital for your businesses is actually finding an investor. So you'd be selling some portion of your company, you know, some some equity of your in, in your in your company, uh, to an investor. And we actually went on a a, a, a roadshow and uh, eventually landed with uh, with Morgan Stanley. 
you know, which who's who has been a great partner um, with us up till now. But I'm not sure if uh, you, you feel like those listening would be interested. You know, I'd, I'm happy to kind of describe kind of what that process was, because a lot of people are probably interested in like, well, OK, that's great. We know the outcome. But, you know, what was what was the collateral? What did you send? How did you get in touch with these, these people? Would, would that be helpful there, Kelly? Sure. Yeah, Dave, if you're able to shed some light in this area as well. Again, our audience includes those entrepreneurs, uh, those uh, startup founders. So I think they would appreciate your your expertise or uh, best practices that you've experienced. Yeah, that's great. So so one of the things I think what, um, I, I that really worked well for us is I actually kept a spreadsheet of every prospective investor that I had ever you know met. And that means, you know, whether you're at a conference or you're listening to a podcast and you hear a name and you kind of quickly look them up online or and i just jotted all of these names down the name of the firm the person and their email address and i ended up actually developing a list over the years of 200 investors now the benefit of that is i probably exchanged some email or said thank you or saw you here so i kind of provided a bit of context in that same spreadsheet so when that moment came, when Stephanie and I and the rest of our, you know, kind of leadership team at the, at the at the time decided we are going to, you know, pursue a series A capital raise, I kind of had the prospect list of investors, the prospective investors already there. It actually all began with uh, an email outreach. And the email, uh, as you can see, I'm very process oriented here, but the email is really critical It said, you know, voices.com looking to raise 15 to $20 million, something along those lines is the subject line. And then I reminded the, the investor of how we met and said, not sure if this is, you know, kind of aligns with your, you know, you know, kind of in your wheelhouse. Um, we're looking to raise this capital. If you want to learn more, I've got a one pager I can send you. And so right away, I'm not giving them the one pager ahead of time. I'm, kind of asking for a bit of interest and from the 200 I quickly nailed it down to 100 sent those one pagers like hey here's the one pager and I showed right away that I had the information at the ready and the one pager is in effect your your whole business on literally one page it's kind of often referred to as a teaser as well too so I would reply back with that one pager and said hey if you like what if what you see let's get on a phone call and let's hop on a call maybe next week and those, you know, kind of move down to that next phase where I'm now on a conversation with some pre-qualified, if you will, investors. And on that call, I actually had this next critical document already done, and I'm referencing it through the call, which is called a confidential information presentation. Sometimes they're called a SIP or a confidential information memorandum. It's basically the long form of your pitch deck. And I'm reading and referencing that, you know, pretty fluidly. The benefit there is that you're giving the same message time and time again. And then lastly, I'd say, hey, you know, what do you think our next steps would be? Um, you know, if it makes sense, let's go. I'm, you know, more than willing to hop on an airplane and uh, visit you in person. And so Stephanie and I, I mentioned we did this roadshow. We basically picked the four major cities where there seemed to be some concentration and we did it all in one big tour and we pitched investors now in person. And that in-person pitch deck is kind of the ones that you would see on a lot of websites, the 10 slides in like 20 minutes. 
And that was, you know, really the opportunity to get in front of maybe an investment committee or a senior partner at that point in the, in the firm. And then really all of this is driving towards some deadline that this is critical that you set as an entrepreneur, that you set the deadline to receive a term sheet or some kind of indication of interest. Um, and by you taking control of that, uh, I know it sounds bold, but by you taking control of that deadline, then you're kind of um, channeling everyone to a moment to either put up their hand and say, yes, I'm interested or no, I'm going to take a pass. Uh, and so with that, we you know collected a number of term sheets and we just felt that the entire relationship with Morgan Stanley was the best one as well as the, um, you know, the economics and the, uh, of the deal itself. So that was the uh, firm that we, that we went and proceeded to kind of go through the due, the finalized due diligence and the legals and uh, eventually close the deal. So hopefully that was helpful in terms of the type of documents in the process, you know, a proven process that uh, entrepreneurs can be thinking about if they're going to be raising, you know, a million dollars or more, if you will. Really well said, David. I think you're sharing insights with our daily grinders out there that are looking to really level up. You have a really great example. And again, you are doing really well uh, with Voices.com here. So we're going to kind of, I guess, get us back into the industry, uh, you know, painting the picture of that landscape of what what trends that you see. Can you maybe share with us, with our listeners that are not really familiar with this industry, what are the current trends in, you know, creative services and what you see that are currently happening and then maybe what you see in the future as well. Well, I think, I think the macro trend would be that freelancers are really becoming the backbone of, of the economy, you know, whether it's the proverbial side hustle or it is someone's main pursuit. There's been, you know, some research that's been done a lot by either, uh, you know, Fiverr and, and upper both employee economists uh, as well, full-time economists on staff. The Bureau of Labor and Statistics also publishes reports on this. It's in effect, you know, one third of the workforce is doing some type of freelance uh, work. I think that's pretty phenomenal. And that is actually most interesting since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, that 75% of freelancers actually said that their wages or earnings were stable and reliable, unlike many other traditional jobs. So you take that and then you kind of, you know, marry that up with, okay, well, what are the types of freelance work that is really being sought out? It's things like data sciences. It's things like, you know, obviously web development and programming, but then there's this whole realm around creative services. Now, perhaps it's because for the better part of the last year and a half, many of us have been, you know, locked at home either by, you know, mandate or by choice. And so what have a lot of us been doing? We've been, you know, needing to still educate, our, educate ourselves, um, looking for new content, probably myself, you know, listen to more podcasts and audiobooks and watch more videos than, uh, you know, ever before. And, you know, likewise, businesses are responding to that. They're trying to create more uh, engaging uh, content. So there's this huge kind of you know, demand, if you will, from consumers who want this content. And then, um, you know, businesses and educational institutions are following suit. Whereas uh, with creating, creating audio and video based, uh, based content. So I think those are two really big trends specific to, uh, you know, kind of the world of voice. The other thing that's been interesting is that, you know, I think there's been 
you know, as this whole phenomenon around um, voice uh, applications and kind of smart speakers, prior to the pandemic, I'd say people were, you know, certainly bought these, you know, Alexa and kind of um, Google homes and kind of placed them around their home, but maybe didn't engage with them as much. Uh, whereas I think there's a growing um, comfort level with whether you're speaking to your TV or your Nest device or your Alexa, there's almost, it's certainly become a lot uh, higher kind of frequency of use in terms of uh, just comfort level. So again, likewise, now app developers and businesses, uh, brands are responding by creating new, uh, you know, voice-based experiences. So I think there's kind of, that is an interesting, uh, interesting phenomenon uh, as well. But I see all of this is, you know, if I kind of, look forward i i imagine a world's there where there is much more audio and video based content i think that lends really well to the creatives that are in the space uh as well as a platform like ours that enables all that work to get done really well said david yeah i was just kind of thinking too of rewinding on when the the moment when we had uh just from the physical book got shifted to a digital book and then audio based book so we're hearing the audio and now it's coming on the video side as well so we're you know consuming content via video so yeah that was kind of my next question you know with our entrepreneurs uh, business owners like how can they navigate through you know switching to that more video based or audio based content well, you know, I think the first thing would would be, you know, consider your brand um, and whether it's a, you know, you're a, a, a one one person show or you're part of a growing kind of thriving startup, you do have a brand. And what we've thought about for, I'm going to say the last, you know, call it 100 years is thinking in terms of our brand in terms of visual mediums. Um, I would challenge entrepreneurs and startups listening to, well, ask yourself, what does your brand sound like? And that could be, hey, is there an intro on our podcast? Um, do we even have a podcast? Do we have a, a closing tagline or sound logo at the end of our videos? Um, or is there even, you know, if it's not voice, is there a certain musical tone uh, or genre of music that kind of is synonymous with our, with our um, brand? And so I think there's, um, those types of, um, you know, work, if you will, or exercises that could be done to just start to describe your brand in, in auditory uh, words and means. The, the best kind of uh, exercise is, is one I, I touched on earlier is imagine, you know, a, the personification of your brand walking through a door. What would they say and sound like? And often what uh, when we do these type of character sketches and exercises with clients is that they end up describing their ideal target market. They end up describing their ideal client profile and it's, which kind of makes sense because people, what we've discovered through our own research is that people want to buy from an organization that kind of looks and sounds like them. People buy from people that they trust. And if I, identify as sharing values, or I can see myself in the organization uh, or reflected in the organization. And that goes not just the visual, but also the auditory. If I can almost hear myself speaking back to me, I feel like I've had some affinity already uh, with, uh, with that brand. So, you know, that would be probably a, a great way for entrepreneurs and startups to be, you know, thinking about your ideal client profile 
And then what would they sound like if they were to kind of walk through a room? I think that's a great way to start to put into practice, you know, these kind of like this marketing nuance, it's probably going to separate you from others who aren't taking advantage of an audio channel, um, you know, that, that are, that are available out there today. Really well said, David. I really enjoyed the phrase that you had, uh, just like challenging yourself and challenging your business. I think that's really important and seeing what the trends are coming and being able to adapt to them. It's a really fast paced environment now. Time <laughs> in today's age, uh, just from the digital landscape in general. Yeah, that kind of leads me to my next question too, and just predictions for content strategies and that shift to digital content. I know from a podcasting side, what's really big is not just you know from the audio format, but having those content creators via YouTube. Everyone's you know on YouTube, Netflix, Hulu, all those streaming devices. So I'm curious to see what you have to say here. Well, one of the areas I think is going to continue to grow. Um, we're going to see a shift towards some audio-focused social platforms. Um, you know, Clubhouse certainly comes to mind. When and taking it um, a step further with exclusive content on Clubhouse, I even see. You know, so for those who might not be aware, you know, Clubhouse, I think they describe them as like a, a really an audio-based social network where there's no visual cues. You know, other than you know, some headshots, kind of, um, you know, some profile pictures, if you will. But really, it's, I think what is different about Clubhouse, and I think subsequently, um, Twitter spaces and Facebook soon, you know, launching live audio rooms, that people have just been kind of glued to their screens and are looking for another experience where they can listen on the go. I think that's part of the reason why podcasts have been so successful. And for longer form content, where, uh, audiobooks or even frankly YouTube, but just listening to the track instead of watching. I know a number of people who do that, just who enjoy the content, but want to be kind of dual tracking, be doing something else at the same time. Uh, and so, um, but specifically, I, I, I think that there will be further experimentation, just like all social platforms start with a degree of kind of scrappiness and, and experimentation at the beginning where they're aren't really rules and people have to figure it out as they go. I've almost, I feel like I've kind of witnessed that firsthand with Clubhouse about how to introduce yourself and how to also signal that you're done speaking at the, at the end of it. Um, so I think that's fascinating. Not that, so I would, you know, again, encourage those listening, maybe just, you know, join Clubhouse as a listener and see if it might be right for you. If you want, and that's kind of, I'm going to say that's in listening mode. If you want to um, experiment with audio, you can do so um, by putting something out like a voice tweet on Twitter, which basically is just a short, you know, audio recording that you can record right within the Twitter app on your phone. Instead of typing out the message, you can actually record, you know, I think it's like 60 seconds or so, um, maybe a bit longer, but we, we found that to have a, just a different degree of, um, personalization where, you know, that you as an entrepreneur are telling your story or pointing someone to a blog post or sharing some news and it's coming right from you. I just think that's so much more authentic that people can hear the emotion and enthusiasm uh, in your voice. So that would be, you know, uh, doing a voice tweet or a couple of those and seeing if that fits with kind of who you are. Um, I think it's a pretty uh, low touch way to start experimenting with audio. And if you like that, then maybe you can take the next step with, you know, going as far as creating a podcast or something kind of that has a higher degree of payoff, but also a higher degree of commitment as well. 
really well said, David. I really enjoyed like your what your vision is or what you uh, can see, you know, for years to come in this space. And then to just our daily grinders to incorporate that and just kind of start with Twitter, for example. That's a really great example for you know our listeners that are not too familiar with this space or kind of you know hesitant to uh, put some audio out there in general. So yeah, that leads me to my last question. You know, what are some other ways that daily grinders can incorporate you know Voices.com, enhance their creativity in their daily grind? Well, you know, if you are a an, an entrepreneur and you're looking to produce a video. Again, we've done some research on this. You know, people definitely want to hear from a real voice actor. They, they don't want to hear from a machine kind of AI generated voice. Uh, I think that's a shortcut, but people's attention span for that is under three seconds. So they kind of quickly tune out. I recognize that that technology is certainly getting better. But I mean, if you're if you're launching a product or you're trying to promote your brand, you want to do so in an emotionally kind of charged and authentic way. So I would uh, consider a voice actor for a, a, you know, some type of promotional video. That would be kind of, you know, the, the, it's the activity we see the most on the platform. I think it's also relatively cost effective and very reusable, you know, a 30 second uh, video is going to be on YouTube, on your website, across social, you can do, cut downs and get it from 30 seconds to 15 seconds. There's a lot of flexibility there. So I think that's probably um, the best way that daily grinders can start to incorporate voice uh, in, in their marketing collateral. Okay. That's great, David. Yeah. Promo messages. Again, we're trying to, you know, expand our audience and just for our daily grinders with those, uh, you know, small businesses or have that side hustle that they're looking to level up again. Great example. It's super easy, too, on Voices.com, as we've heard earlier on in this episode, how to get that talent um, to be a part of your brand. So, yes, in closing, we talked about your daily schedule, David. You're leading the charge at Voices.com. What do you have on your daily grind you know, later this year, twenty back half of 2021? We're nearing the end of the year, uh, early 2022. Well, we're, we're definitely in um, strategic planning mode. I think most uh, businesses are already, as you said, thinking about what what's up for next year so you know one of the um ways we go about that is is to really unpack well what is what is a strategy and um if i can offer i just think you know at risk of standing overly academic it is the collection of choices that a business makes to differentiate itself from others within uh within the space now the key word there is being the choices and they're not just any old choice they're self-reinforcing choices so make sure that one choice that you make builds upon the other and that you're making choices that um hopefully are based upon data they're based upon a high degree of conviction that it's the right thing that's going to last over the next kind of year or two um if not longer but that's uh, certainly what we're looking forward to uh next year is is you know further uh you know building out our you know audio marketplace to perhaps even welcome in other types of creative services. Think of like writing, often a script needs to be written before it can get voiced. Maybe there's some other geographic expansion opportunities. You know, we're highly concentrated in North America, but voices is around the world. You know, we have a hundred, um, we do business in 160 countries, kind of dabbling here and there, but I think we could be more intentful. So those are some of the areas um, that I'm thinking of. 
but you know, maybe uh, kind of parting parting words here. I would I would say that I've learned over certainly over the last two years that uh, as we all have that the future is unpredictable, and therefore we need to remain um, flexible and ready to pivot. And the big one for uh, us as well as many others was you know moving to initially an exclusively work from home environment to now a hybrid. And, and uh, you know, who knows if it's, uh, we can, um, you know, how that kind of might um, transpire over the, over the next uh, couple of years. But I think this kind of learning to be nimble and, and not holding on too tight that we're going to make choices, we're going to have a high degree of conviction, but if new information comes to light, then we need to be willing to change quickly and, and um, you know, move forward on that basis. So uh, I know that might sound like a contradiction in terms, but I, I really think kind of holding those two things, um, you know, in your mind at the same time um, is, is really, you know, a sign of, of great leadership and, you know, um, you know, a strong entrepreneur that recognizes that you're not always going to get it right. But you, but you also need to be willing to, you know, try, try again, if you will. So that's uh, hopefully that uh, is encouraging to someone out there listening today. Oh, yes. Really well said, David. Yeah. Strategic decision making, uh, continued growth, all the best at Voices.com. So, yes, uh, David, inspirational story, sharing us the, the latest and greatest with Voices.com. Do you have a word today to motivate our listeners out there or even a quote or saying? Well, one of the well, thanks so much for that. I mean, one of the piece of advice I think that was given to me was to never take no for an answer. You're going to get a lot of people, whether it's a partner, whether it's a an employee or a candidate you're trying to hire, whether it's a customer that you think you made the great pitch or an investor even. And sometimes, you know, no does mean no. But the other times it actually means, well, not right now. And I think, you know, it might mean, you know, that not right now is if you can learn to kind of differentiate between those two. The not right now is, okay, well, let me check back in six months or a year and try to maintain those relationships. So uh, I found that the, some of the biggest advancements that we've made in our business, it was more of that the timing was off than anything else. And so it's okay to come back and revisit something, a relationship or an activity or an initiative that may have been promising, but the timing was off. So um, never take no for an answer. Unpack that to see if it's really a no means no, or perhaps it's a no, not now. That's great, David. Really great quote. Um, I think that fits really well with today's uh, episode, your story, and what you've uh, shared with us on, on today's Daily Grind. So last but not least, uh, David, if our listeners have questions, comments, you don't want to get involved with Voices.com, how can they do so after the podcast? Probably the best way to get in touch would be on LinkedIn. It's just David Cicerelli on LinkedIn. You can find me there. Um, or I've been doing a lot of writing actually on Medium. So davidcicerelli.medium.com. Very nice. We'll put David's contact in the show notes. As always, a big thank you to David for being on the podcast. Right back at you. Thanks, Kelly, for having me. Thanks for tuning into the Daily Grind this week. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to follow us on Twitter or Instagram, we are at Daily Grind Pod. Please also remember to visit our website, www.kjfwi.org, and shop our merch. Until next time, my name is Kelly Johnson. Have a great day. Well, thanks so much for the, the chat today. Have, have a good one. Take care. Bye-bye. This episode was produced by the Kelly Johnson Foundation with music composed by Connor Christian. 